let's go to the next one. This is going to be um, the life of David. This is going to help us kind of see how God works in specific seasons. And so, again, it's that word. I don't know if you know the word chronos and kairos for time. Yeah. Chronos is like a basketball game. It keeps going. Kairos is like a chess game. It's like the time stops when it's the next turn, the time stops when it's the next turn, and then it's based on a events, a sequence of events. A lot of our calling of how God runs with us is based on a kairos. It's based on seasons of our life that when we do the thing that God's challenging us with, it releases us into the next event or season of our life. And so that's the way the wilderness was. That's the way the Israelites were when they were with Moses. That's how Jesus was with the cross. It's that there's specific prophecies or words of God or seasons of maturity that as we grow in them, then he releases them. It's very similar to um, just parenting, right? You give your kid, you give, if you give your kid $5 and then they spend it and nothing, they don't do anything good with it, then you don't give them $10 or whatever it is. You have, to, you have to see the stewardship of the last season before you could get promoted to the next season of, of responsibility. So let's go ahead and go over the life of David and how he did it. I'm going to go through a couple of these notes just because it's so good. These, um, the, the teaching of the life of David is just really, it has so much stuff. There's probably two teachings that really impacted me in my foundation. Uh, one is the Song of Songs, and then the other one is the life of David. Because I relate to David being a warrior, and then I relate to Song of Songs because God loves me. <laughs> so like, that's, how, that's why I relate to that one. Um, but let's go ahead and let's take a look at David. David was someone that showed me in the Bible, uh, specifically for me, but it's for anyone that's following God, um, what we look like when we follow Jesus. And then for me personally, it's like I wanted to have a definition of a man of God. I wanted to have a definition of a worshiper of God, of someone that was wholehearted. And what do they look like when they're um, not a Shulamite maiden? <laughs> so what do they look like when they're a king, when they're a ruler, when they're a warrior, when they're going out and they're conquering things? And what does God see with that? And so here is here's what I want to share with you first. It's on the first uh, topic of it. And so when David was studying God's heart, there was three things that he was looking at. He wasn't just looking at one or the other. The first one in 1 Samuel 13, 14, the Lord sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord commanded him to be commander over his people. And so there's a couple of key points from that one scripture. One is that the Lord was, this is who the Lord was looking for that's after his own heart. So this is one the Lord is choosing. It's not a king that the world wants. It's, a, it's the one that the Lord wants to rule and be shepherd over his people. And so the second part is David would study God's emotions. So as a man, I, I don't necessarily like caring about emotion, but I have a lot of it. Like, it's just, I, I try not to say I do, but I really do. I got a ton of emotion. Uh, passion is an emotion. Um, anger is an emotion. Love is an emotion. All of those things are emotions. Being cherished, that's a part of being a part of an emotion, right, that, that triggers that. And so the idea that David did, and you could see it with Psalms, was that he, he listened and he observed and he studied, however God's emotions are, I want to see them in my life. And that was another area of consecration that David had of worship, of him having his heart fully following God, is that I want, if God is angry about this, I want to be angry about that. If God uh, loves this and finds this beautiful, I want to find that beautiful. If he thinks this is dull and it doesn't matter and it's insignificant, I want to, I want to have that same emotion for that. That's actually another definition of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is hating what God hates and loving what God loves. And so that's another uh, cross-reference for that. The next one is the commands, which I like the commands as a man, right? That's why I went to the military for a little bit. It's because it's easy to tell me what to do if you're my leader. 
Um, that's what they would test you in the military for. They would just test you on do what your drill sergeant says and do it. If he says duck, then just duck because a missile might fly over your head and burn your scalp off or something or blow you up. And um, with the commands of God, I'm like, okay, great. You tell me what to do, I'm going to do it. Like, that's easy for me to do. But David did that plus everything else, right? He didn't just say, okay, I'm just going, I'm a warrior. I killed Goliath. I did this. I'm just, um, it was, it's funny. I was talking to Josh about like, so what are some of the things that we need to do with training for evangelism besides breaking bricks? And then he, he started giving me a list of all these things. And then, I, then we talked about the breaking bricks part. And he said, well, that one's kind of straightforward. You just kind of tell the guy, okay, see this? Yeah. You put your elbow there like this, <laughs> then like it's broken. And it's like, oh, okay, but it, that's the command, right? But men are deeper than that. And so he goes in deeper and worshipers are deeper than that. And the third one is the purpose. He had a purpose of him for living. And so David didn't want to just also know the commands of the Lord and to be told what to do. He didn't just want to know the emotions of God and love and hate and be angry and gentle and merciful with what God was merciful and all those other emotions with too. But he wanted to have the vision of God over his life. What did God call me to do? David was very happy as a shepherd. Well, he was also rejected and he talks about that in Psalms. But if God never told him, you're going to be king, he would have never tried to be one. He didn't even try to be one, actually. He just, he just kept following God. But because the, David was a person after God's own heart, the Lord said, you're a man that I'm looking for. You're the person that I'm looking for. I want you to be king and shepherd over all of my people. And because David loved God, he said, yes, I will. And then he took him as a shepherd, and then he made him a king. And so, but he didn't do that because he wanted to in his own strength. He did that because he loved God so much and God made him and God knew what would be greatest for him and his glory of, uh, for Jesus. And so you could take a look at it. Um, Psalm 27, four, the next one, it's um, one thing that I have desired of the Lord that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Right? So when you inquire, that's what we were doing as a team. We were, the staff was there, you were there as um, looking through your manuals and the questions, and you were inquiring of the Lord, what are these things of my heart? And so David did that as a, as a person that worshiped God wholeheartedly. He, he, he loved being in the encounter of God. He loved seeing what God loves seeing. He loved being fascinated by Jesus. And when he would see him, he would talk to him about Jesus himself. And he would talk to him about <clears throat> his life. He would talk to him about what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to rule your people? How am I supposed to live? How do I worship you? He would inquire of the Lord. And that's what David did with his heart being fully committed to God as a warrior, a worshiper, a musician, and a servant, and a shepherd, and a king. That's, all of those traits was, is what made David. And that's what's so great about the life of David is that he's not just a worshiper. He's like a warrior. He's not just a warrior. He was the king of the most powerful kingdom on earth at that point. He was all of these traits. He was a servant that would just serve people in the shepherd's field, which were now God's people. He had all of these uh, budding virtues of his life that were blossoming because he loved God so much. And then he was also a, a regular man like you and us. He had weaknesses. He had struggles. He had immaturities. He had things that he just, he had a hard time figuring out. And he had the consequences of it in his life. And so that's why we could relate to him so much because he's someone that followed God, but he's not Jesus. And so not to re uh, repeat his mistakes, but to learn from what he's doing. Okay, now this is the next part. This is very important also for the way that God calls us in season. And so David... When he was called as a shepherd, which is what we went over a couple of days ago, he wasn't immediately exalted to become king. 
There were seasons where he was publicly made his calling. And so for you, there's seasons of your calling. And they're long. They're not like three months, six months. David was like seven years, 14 years, 30 years. It's his whole life because it's his calling. It's what he's doing with the Lord. It's his run with me section. And um, I'll just go over this a little briefly. But the first one he did it was what we talked about a couple of days ago in Bethlehem. That could have been just in your secret place. Maybe God's calling you to be a missionary in this season and then maybe in the marketplace later, whatever the Lord has. And then he's, this could have been the first public time where you're saying, I'm going to be what God called me to be. I remember uh, being in, is Liberty here? Liberty's not here. I remember being in Young Nok, and then I would uh, be with all my Korean friends, and then all of them say, hey, um, you're going to be a great missionary one day. And I was like, what, what is that? <laughs> so like, I didn't know what it was. But then when I finally became a missionary, the people around me publicly knew this is what he's going to be doing. And so that's like David. David now, his family publicly knows that Samuel came and said, you're going to be king over Israel. So that's the shadow. That's the foreshadowing of you stepping into your calling. It, it, it doesn't have to be a missionary. It could be a, you're going to be a doctor. Like maybe you really are going to be a doctor, right? Maybe you're going to really be a lawyer. Maybe you're really going to be a nurse or a practitioner, an engineer. You're going to operate in business. You're going to go overseas. It's just you know that this is what God's calling you to run with. And so that's where, that's where that comes. The second one is Hebron. And so he was given a portion of his calling. It wasn't all of Israel. It was only a segment of it. Again, it's how much you steward the last season. And then he goes into Jerusalem later in his life, way later in his life, and he finally becomes king. But do you see that? It's when you're called, like even some of your dreams, right? Like the bowling one. That could, there's sections of it. There's seasons of it. And then if you don't know what God's doing in that season, sometimes you can miss or long for the wrong lesson or long for the wrong thing in the wrong season, and you're completely missing what he's saying in that season. I'm going to actually go over those seasons today so that we can have some clarity, and then you'll be able to go over that in your group so that you could talk about what season you're in, what the Lord is challenging you with, um, how are you going to progress, how is he telling you to uh, take on that challenge and mature. All right, let's go over to uh, Psalm 78. This is David again, right? David is so much in the Bible. It's, it's wild. There's more chapters on David, the man David, than Jesus. Not by Christology, but just by the, this is David, this is Jesus. And then he has so many Psalms. Psalms is one of the biggest books in the Bible. So just the, the life of who David was pursuing Jesus is all over the Bible. Because his life constantly points back to Jesus, even in his uh, dark but lovely state. So Psalm 78. He also chose David as his servant, this page two, and took him from the sheepfolds, from the following ooze that had young, and he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. He guided them with the skillfulness of his hand. So I'm going to highlight those uh, three words. Uh, choose. So God chose you before he, you chose him, right? So that's the first part of salvation, Luke 9, picking up your cross. It's that really when you break down your identity, your passions, your giftings, your, your creative uh, personality set, that was all designated to you by God. And so he chose you for something. Where we go wrong is where we try and choose for ourselves, and then that's where we get bored. That's where we get like, you know, we don't want to do what we're doing because we don't like it anyways. Like that's because he knows what's going to make our heart come alive as we follow him and mature. Okay, the next one is when he chose you, then he took you from where you were at. And so for me, that was my brokenness. That's the place where I grew up. Again, that was something that the Lord was weeping. I was weeping with the Lord on why am I in this specific situation and all these things I'm going through. You may have felt like that in your life. And then he took you from it. 
Because he chose you, then he took you from that brokenness and that place of disaster, that place of insignificance, that place of whatever it is that he's calling you from, that place of passivity maybe. And then he brought you to your calling. And which that's why some of us are here now. Why are you in the Philippines? Because he chose you, he took you, then he brought you. That's, so that's what he's doing with you. And then for some of you, it's another, another stage of your life. He's going he's gonna to brought you to another place. And then he's going to take you, then he's going to bring you to another place. And then you have to be okay with that. That's the way he works. All right, so here's another part where we really, it's the, it's the lifestyle of Jesus, actually. When I was in art school, and we were making um, storyboards and stories for movies and all this stuff, which I didn't make a movie, but at least they taught me how the thing works, is that there's this, there's really just one story for every movie. Every story, there's one story. And then it's a secular college. So I went there, and then I was listening to it, and they talked about resurrection, death, the fullness, and I was like, that's the gospel. <laughs> I was like, what is this guy talking to me about? So anyways, but every story, you're going to notice, even in the Avengers, Lord of the Rings, Batman, Superman, whatever, um, romance flicks, there's always this kind of pattern that you see. There's like this vision and enlightenment. There's this challenge there's this death to the challenge. There's this resurrection from the challenge. And then there's a fullness of it. That's Jesus. That's the gospel. That's why we all like it. Because it's, it's born inside of our spirit. And so this is like your life. All right? This is, this is how God calls you. And when you see these things happening, it's good for you to know why it's happening. Okay? So the first one is the birthing of the vision. Right? It's when you just start seeing how God wants to bring you closer to him and draw and run away where, wherever he's running to. And that's, that's the first part of it. That's where the awakening happens. That's where the encounter happens. That's where your heart starts moving. That's 17 years old. That was really old for the young for David. He was just a teenager. And then he goes on at 37 or uh, 20 years later, his, his vision becomes fulfilled. He actually starts walking that out. But even with Jesus, the first thing that happens is that your vision dies. You start thinking, am I really supposed to do this? Am I really supposed to be going here? Did God really call me? Did he really take me? Did he really bring me to this place? And it's dead. Like everything you're trying to do, it's not moving. Everything you're trying to work at, it's not pushing forward. Nothing, there's no fruit, no results. It feels like a dead work. Because God's not testing your ministry. He's testing your heart. He's testing your faith. He's testing your love with him. He's testing your first love. So he lets it die. And then the faith arises there. This is where a lot of young uh, leaders and pioneers and people that are going to change the world, they get lost in the death. Because we don't talk about that in the secular world. In the secular world, you talk about Oprah Winfrey. She came from nothing. She had to go through these struggles. She kept pushing, 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 pushing. And then maybe there were some challenges and all of a sudden Oprah Winfrey got her own TV channel. And it's like, wow, I want to be like Oprah Winfrey. If I just keep pushing it and pushing and working and working and working, I'm going to get this thing. And then that's because it's, it's thriving. You're, you're, you're not birthing it in the spirit. You're birthing it in the flesh. And what's born in the flesh dies in the flesh. None of it goes into eternity. The way that God does it with us is that we get spiritually pregnant. And then he's birthing something and then we sense like it dies. But what you have to watch for is the last one where it resurrects. The, that death could be like, for David, it was like seven years. Seven, actually, like 20 years almost. Where it's like people would talk to him. And I'm going to go over this in the scripture. People would talk to him, and then they would say, hey, remember, you're supposed to be king. David's like, I'm like running away for my life. How am, I going to be, how am I going to become king? And the Lord will remind us in those seasons, this is just a season. It's a testing. But it's not done. The Lord's not done with you. 
And so that's where we, when we stay strong and God's challenging us in that season, we have to go like, okay, the Lord is testing my heart. He, this, what he told me is real. I'm going to stay to it. I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to keep him as my first love. And I'm going to keep stewarding whatever he's called me to steward. And I know because of the Bible, it's going to come back to life. Something's going to happen. And, he, it's gonna, and I'm going to be able to run with him in the way he's calling me to run. All right. Let's go into, now I'm going to start honing in on the seasons. And this really helped me. If I didn't have these seasons, I wouldn't know where I, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. I would have quit a long time ago because I, it was, I was, it's so confusing the way that God works compared to the way that the world works. The world work is like this. You get your track, you go get your degree, you go get your job, you go get your wife or husband, you go get your house, you go get your dog, you go do your thing, and then you get your kid, and then that's your track. God's ways are just so much more mysterious than that. But he has it in the Bible. And so that's why it's good to know the wisdom of God, because then we're not confused. We have clarity. We have light in our life. Okay, so let's go ahead and go to 1 Samuel um, let's go to 1 Samuel 17, 28 again. Go ahead and go to that in your Bible. I'm going to go through a lot of Samuel, actually. So that, what, the reason why I want to do that is so that now you could look at Samuel, and then when something hits your heart, you can get your own revelation from it, because now you have a framework of how the Bible's working with this storyline. Um, I went over this um, a couple of days ago, but I'm going to go share it again with a couple of other scriptures from Psalm. Okay, so this is David and Goliath. Let's go ahead and read uh, 1 Samuel 17, 28. Okay, so now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. That's David when he was anointed king. When they already told him, you're going to become king, this is what he was living in. And so I'm going to go over a couple of uh, Psalms. This is David in Bethlehem, his first season when he's in Bethlehem. These are some of the emotions David was going through in this season. It's on your reference notes here on section uh, three. If you want to read it and just kind of keep it in your heart. Psalm 69, I'm going to read it off. Because for your sake I have borne reproach. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. Because zeal for your house has eaten me up, when I wept, I chastened my soul with fasting, and then became, that became my reproach. So if you can identify with David when he was called, he was an alien to his mom. He was rejected by his family. This is what David is emotionally feeling when he's called to be king. That's what Bethlehem feels like. It feels like you're rejected. As you look at um, 1 Samuel 16, David's heart to God was that he was a man after God's own heart, right? What does he look like to his brother? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. So men, everybody around them, the oldest brother, the one that's uh, taking care of the battle, he's the best looking guy. He's furious at David because he says, your heart is so prideful. Like, why would you come down here other than just see the battle? And David's in his wilderness all by himself in Bethlehem. And God's saying, you're going to become king because your heart is beautiful to me. That's how he feels. And so at this point, God is maturing his identity as one that belongs to Jesus. He's maturing his first love. And it's getting tested with everything around him. And that's how that season feels like. Some of us might feel like that right now. Like, you might be marked with your past. Like, oh, you're this or you're that. You might be marked with what the devil is lying to you about. You, be mar you might be marked by what other people are saying or yourself is saying about yourself. And you have this calling, 
But then it's like, it's, it's just so young. It's not moving, it's budding. And that's a way of God. That's how God tests us in that season. All right, let's go ahead and let's highlight some other couple of words here. He says here, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? In 1 Samuel 17. Everything he did, did was insignificant. Okay, so sheep are like kind of dumb animals. They're not like super smart. They're not like, um, they're not like a golden retriever or like a dolphin or a monkey or something. Like sheep, if you don't put them in the right place, they'll die. Like if you don't lead them to still waters, they won't drink it. Like you have to really take care of them. You have to really shepherd them. Nobody wants to do that. That's what David did all day. He took care of the dumb animals. And then his brother is in war. That's why I joined the military, right? Because I wanted to be the dude in war. I didn't want to take care of my insignificant, mundane stuff in my after-school program, right? I didn't want to take care of a bunch of kids all day. That's, this is real life. I wanted to be in war with a rifle shooting big bullets. And then that's because that's what he was struggling with. That's how we might feel with our life. And then so he, you have to imagine the emotion here. He's called to be king, but he's taking care of these insignificant animals. But it also says, if you look at Psalm 78, 70, 72, so he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. And he guided them by the skillfulness of his hand. And he didn't look at his season of being a shepherd as insignificant to God. He looked at it as it was his pride. This is what the Lord has called me for. I'm going to be the best shepherd ever. Because it was worship to God. When I was a janitor before Hope City, um, there was this other, um, he was the master, master, um, like the guy that does all the technical stuff. And then um, he takes care of me, which is the janitor. And then when I would be the janitor, I would, I would sweep the floor like this. And I'd be like, all right, it's done. And I'd go to the next one, I'd be like, and then I'd, it'd be done. And then he walked in, uh, my leader, and then he walked in and he said, did you sweep this? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I swept it. He said, are you sure? And I was like, yeah. He's like, why is there webs here? Why is there dirt in the corner? Why is there all this stuff that's not picked up? And I was all like, oh, I just, I didn't see that. I didn't know if anyone cared. And then he goes and takes that broom. He works like a, uh, he works, uh, he's Latin actually. They actually, they're very clean. Latin people are very clean. Even if you go to the slums, they're super clean. And then he took it, and then he started like hitting the things and bringing everything down and moving it forward and sweeping the stairs and going on top of everything and taking the dust off. And he said, you got to own this thing. This is what you do. Like you're the one that's taking care of this whole building. And I was all like, ooh, I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know I could be a man sweeping your dirt. And then that's when he taught me this is my season. I'm a janitor. Like God's called me to see revival and awakening and nations and all this stuff. But right now, I'm a janitor. And I'm going to be the best janitor that God's ever called me to. I had like three or four apartment buildings I had to take care of. One dude. Uh, we didn't have a snowplow. And we had the worst snowstorm in the history of KC at that time. It was feet of snow. I had to shovel it all myself. Three apartment buildings. I had poo-poo inside of the staircase. All this stuff. I'm not going to go into other stuff, all right? Some of the staff heard it, but you're not going to hear it. So, like, um, there's all this stuff. And then I just did it because I knew that this was my season with God. Because I knew this with David. If I didn't know this with David, I would think I'm wasting my time. I would think I'm striving. I'm like, okay, how do I get out of this? How do I get out of this? How do I get out of this? But then God doesn't want you to get out of it. He wants you to learn what it means to be skillful in small things. And then you keep that, right? This is what David looked like when he was as a shepherd, right? I didn't kill a lion, but I ran away from a bat. Okay, this is what he did. Lambs, right? Who cares about them? There are a few sheep. But David said to Saul, 
How are you going to kill Goliath? This is verse uh, 34 in chapter 17. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion and bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it. I struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, struck it, and killed it. A lion. A wild lion. Not like some... I went to the Filipino zoo in Manila, and I was like, oh, an African lion. This is going to be crazy. And then when I walked up, his mane was gone. And he just stood there like this. And he was like, Bleh. and I was like, oh, my gosh, he's dying. And then the lioness was in the back, like, Bleh. Bleh. and then the lioness is like, you lazy bum, get up and do something. You don't even have a mane. And then it's just like, it was so pitiful. I was like, oh, my gosh, this lion's like being abused in the zoo. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a wild lion out there in ancient times that's giant. He took the sheep from its mouth, grabbed its beard, and killed the thing. Why would he do that? It's just a sheep. Like, you're going to have many more of them. They're like bunnies, maybe. I don't know. I don't know sheep. Whatever. They multiply. Like, it's your life or this sheep? It's because he knew with the integrity of his heart, this is what God is calling me to do. And I'm going to kill this lion because this sheep belongs to God. And that's how you handle this season. It's that everything that is small, everything that is mundane, everything that is boring, everything that looks like the opposite of your calling, you grab that thing by the beard and you kick it. You just do all this stuff to it. You just own that little thing. And he's testing it. He's testing your heart if you will make him your first love and worship in the small and mundane things. And then once you get that, you move on to the next season. He progresses you out of that. So let's go to the next one. It's a little bit more fun. This one's a bit more fun, all right? So anyways, it's in the same chapter, really. Actually, the next one. Let's go to 1 Samuel 18. And then go to um, verse 7. All right, everybody knows the story. David kills Goliath, chops off his head. He lifts it up, and then everyone starts running for their lives. Because the second this guy's dead, everyone else becomes slaves. So they're going to go get their slaves today. You know what David did? He walked around with, David, with Goliath's head. It was a trophy. Like, can you imagine that? Walking around with someone's head? It's a big head, too. It's not like your head, right? It's like this nine-foot beast of a man, his head. His helmet was like 100 pounds or something. And then he had this six-foot huge or whatever javelin that he would walk around with. And then he was walking around with, I just killed the giant. Yeah, right? I just killed him. And then he gets this. He goes over, and then they share with him, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. He gets promoted publicly. And so you're not doing the small stuff anymore. Someone's about to put you up in front of everybody and start declaring what you just did in public. That's sometimes even more dangerous than the small stuff. All right, let's go ahead and read Proverbs, because God's testing this stuff, right? He's testing everything. Proverbs 27, 21. This is the second paragraph. The crucible is for silver, but man is tested by the praise he receives. And so now you might win a championship. You might get your degree and you're the first one in your class. You might be the preacher or whatever, and then everyone got saved that day or whatever it is. And then everyone knows you for a little bit of who you are now, a little bit of your calling. What God's testing is when you get praised by man, will you first receive your praise from God? Is God going to be where you get your praise and your applause, or is man going to be where you get all of your reward? And that's where he starts testing us. And then if you look at it, Throughout the rest of David's life in this next chapter, it starts saying every time that Saul tried to promote him, tried to put him in commandship in this chapter of 18, it always says David behaved wisely. David behaved wisely. And so when you're in this season of promotion, this season of like success and victory and it's 
public now. It's not a lion that you killed and nobody knows about. It's now the greatest warrior in the land and you slain him and people publicly know who you are. Will we still run to God as our first love? That's what he's, that's what he's testing there. All right. So then the next season, but if you notice though, some people even get lost with this. I know a lot of worship leaders that they have a great voice. You know, they do amazing things. They try and test out what it's like when they start selling their music, which is fine. But then they start loving the spotlight. They love the attention. They love the way that it feels that you're in front. But that's just a shadow of their calling. But because they get so obsessed with the praise, they forget the rest of their destiny. They get stuck in the fame. They get stuck in the money. They get stuck in all that stuff. It's the same thing with missionaries. Same thing with speakers. Same thing with preachers. Same thing with teachers. Same thing with leaders. Anyone. There's this place where you get this promotion and you're like, whoa, I can actually do a lot of stuff with, with the way I'm gifted. I'm actually a pretty gifted person. And then, but you're like, wait, wait, wait. But God told me I'm going to be king of, of Israel. I'm not supposed to just, this isn't, what, this isn't what the Lord has for me. This is just a season of him testing my heart in promotion. All right, now this is really, this is really good, right? Because the next one, he does something super crazy. Like if we don't understand the way of God, we could think we're completely lost. And then he goes into Adullam, Adullam. He goes into this cave and Saul, the king of everybody in that time, the king of Israel, knows that David is now going to become king. And so Saul tries to kill David with 3,000 of his strongest elite soldiers. So if you can imagine... Uh, like America and the Philippines, we mix our soldiers, right? And so if you can imagine American and Filipino special forces going after L3. And he's all like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where am I going to run? The prayer cave? Like, these are the best of the best of the best of the best killers in the world at this point. And 3,000 of them, their only thing, it's like, where's Osama bin Laden? Where's this dude? I'm going to kill this guy. Where is this David guy? David did that for seven years. That's what God does to us. That's why you have to know this stuff. Because we could think it's just like boom, 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 boom. And then we're going to become like the greatest person on the planet. But it's more like boom, boom. And then everyone's trying to persecute you. Everyone's trying to kill you. This is where God tests a lot of leadership. Not your leadership the leader over you and how you respond to it. Because this is what God's doing right now. If Saul never tested David, David would become Saul. If he never got tested with a leader that wasn't after God's own heart and wasn't persecuting him and wasn't showing him like what your life looks like under pressure when you're getting attacked and all this other stuff, he wouldn't be ready to be king. He would have just became like another person. And this is where, um, I love this scripture actually in 1 Samuel 22. It says there's a prophet that comes to him. And he says, you have to go to Hebron. You can't stay in, you can't stay in this cave. And then he says, um, like, you know, I'm just paraphrasing it. But he's kind of like, well, why should I go to Hebron? They're going to kill me. And then he says, because that's where God will anoint you and put power on you and make you king. And that's what we want to do in our adulam. It's we want to hide in our little shelf, and then we want to forget our calling. You want to forget your destiny. You want to forget that God has wept over bringing you out and taking you somewhere. You want to forget all that because it's too tough. And then you have people and prophetic words. Crazy. When I was a janitor, um, we didn't have a leaf blower either, right? And we just have these huge trees all over Missouri. I don't know why, but because there's a lot of foliage, right? They would just fall everywhere. And then the way that they made this gate was that all the leaves from the street blow into it in, uh, in fall, in autumn. And so there's just tons of leaves. They're like, like a, a foot high of leaves when you walk through. And I broke a rake, two rakes raking that thing. 
because it, it can't keep up with the leaves. And then I'd have to put it in bags. And I was like, this sucks. And I was like, this tree is not even half done. Like this tree has so many more leaves and I'm gonna have to pick up all that stuff before winter. And it just sucked. I was like, why am I doing this? And I would just do it and do it and do it. And I kept telling myself, why? this is so bad. Like, I don't want to do this. And then my leader is telling me, hey, you got to go do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. I'm like picking up some leaves here. I'm not done yet. And then this, this homeless guy comes out of nowhere, comes out of absolutely nowhere. He's drunk. He smells terrible. He walks up to me. He goes like, is it worth it? And I'm like, what? And then he walks away. And I'm all like, was that an angel or a drunk man? Like, I don't, I, I don't know what, what that was. Like, I don't know if it was an angel that was drunk. or I don't think that even happens. But I think God used him to talk to me. Because I was like, what am I, because I was thinking about being like a revivalist. I was thinking about being a preacher. And I was sweeping leaves. And I was contemplating, what am I doing? And this guy comes out of nowhere and says, is it worth it? And that's what, that's what happens in the cave of Adullam. A prophet comes to David and reminds him, you're supposed to go to Hebron. That's where God will make you king. And so that's, that might be for some of you, even your YWAM experience. This might be a stage of your life that he's moving you forward in your seasons. It might be when you're, I don't know if you're going to go to college or you're going to go to technical school or whatever it is. That might be the next stage. He's saying, this is where you need to go next for me to anoint you with your power, with the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's, that's what's happening over there in Adullam. They get tested with adversity and all that stuff. All right, this one is, is a lot later in people's calling. This is like David's already 30, 37. He's walking this through. It's already almost half of his life that he lived is, is now upon him from 17, and now he's like 30, 37. And so he goes up, and he says, um, this, this is really good, actually. I love this. I love this scripture. 2 Samuel 2.1. He says, David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go up to any cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, where shall I go up? And he said to Hebron. So the context of this is that Saul's dead. The king is gone. He's supposed to be king. If, if we step in our own strength, we don't inquire to the Lord. We don't question with him. We don't pray. We don't ask him, what am I supposed to do next? David could have just said, whoa. Man, it's been like almost 20 years. The king's dead. I can now become king. And then he could go walk up to the kingdom of, of all of Israel. And then he could say, hey, yo, I'm king. Can you, guys, can you guys make me king now? He could have done that and looked like an idiot. But then he was being trained. He was tested with Saul trying to kill him for his ego. He was tested inside of being a shepherd for the mundane and every single step he's talking to the Lord. And the first thing that David did was ask God, where do you want me to go? He didn't, he didn't even try and self-promote himself to become this man that he's called to be. He did what he does and he inquired of God. And then he said this. Yeah, see, I'll tell you a little story. That's why I love my wife, right? I had a meeting with, um, with Mark Anderson, and then I, was, um, I had all these visions that I was sharing about the other day of these, like, 20-foot wall where all these things were going to happen. And then um, I saw uh, Mark and called the All in Impact World. They were doing everything I saw in this vision. And I was like, man, this is crazy. Like, I just saw a vision. This, this whole movement's already doing it. And then so I have a meeting with Mark. We talk. And then he starts explaining things. And then by the end of the conversation, it's like, I should join YWAM. And then I'm like, okay, so what do I got to do? I got to join YWAM? And then, um, and then Mark and Karen, they're like, yeah, you should join. That's, that's essentially what needs to happen. And then I said, because um, I was going to move to the Philippines anyways. I was going to do my, my own thing that I was planning. And then, um, so then I said, yeah, that's actually everything that, everything that I'm seeing. This is it. 
And then Claudia goes like, we'll pray about it. And I was all like, what do you pray about? Like, this is like, I've been seeing visions of this for like six years. Like, this is, this is the thing. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And then Claudia said, we'll pray about it. We'll come back to you in like three, four days. And I was like walking out the door. And I was like, what are you talking about praying about it? Like, this is it. This is the answer of the thing. And then so we go ahead and we pray about it. And then the typhoon um, Hayun comes or something, right? This giant super storm and all of a sudden in America the Philippines is all of a sudden all over the place and then I'm like whoa that's crazy I can't believe the Philippines is getting hit by one of the biggest storms in the world right now and everybody sees it and then Monty Pacquiao starts coming up and then he's like preaching the gospel almost while he's the number one boxer in the world and I'm all like, man, God's really highlighting the Philippines. And then we keep praying, and we keep praying, and then we keep praying. And then the Lord shows me, if you go to the Philippines by yourself, it's going to be like you taking a boat, rowing yourself to the Philippines. And when you get there, you have to start from nothing. And I was like, he said it will take you 40 years to build what you're seeing. And I was like, okay, all right, so I'll be like 70 or something. And I was like, all right. And then I get this other vision where I join the movement of YYM and call all at Impact World. And then I'm on this huge ship. And it got the fleet, has all these people, got all these workers. And then we hit the shore and then all these things are coming out of it. Like where you just start, things start dismantling and then you start putting them together. And then you got like almost like this little mini fort or base that just rised out from this one ship. And then God says, or you could build from that. And I was like, hmm, I think I should probably build from the ship, right? That's like, that's what I was thinking. That's what I'm pressing in for the vision. I'm trying to ask the Lord. I'm inquiring of the Lord. And that's a lot for you. When you get into this place, maybe after DTS, uh, actually probably a lot out of DTS, I would assume. You can't just do what everyone's telling you. You can't just do what I tell you. You can't just do what L3 tells you. You can't just do what Ember's telling you. You got to inquire of the Lord and you got to let the Lord touch your heart. You got to let him talk to you. You got to consecrate your life, right? Draw me away, come closer to God. And then you got to learn where he's going to run with you next. And you're going to be in this season. I really feel like after DTS really soon where you're like, man, this next step of my life is going to alter the next 30 years of my life. After DTS, that's what it's going to look like. It's going to look like, okay, if I don't make this decision the way that the Lord is telling me to, I could be stuck in weirdo land forever. Like, you, could, you know, the wilderness only takes like, like a week or so to get through where the Israelites were. It took them 40 years. They had to die. Right? You don't want to be that person where the next generation picks up what the Lord was telling you to do. Because he'll do that. If we don't get out of our wilderness, if we don't learn what he's telling us to learn and get challenged the way he's challenging us, he'll just pick it up somewhere else. Like he won't wait for you. He'll, he'll wait for you because he's patient. But you could die and never fulfill what he's called you to do. You could draw closer to him and never run after him. Never run with him. All right, let's go to the next one. This one's a fun one. All right? This one's a fun one. <laughs> okay? This is when uh, David goes into Jerusalem. And now he is king of Israel. All right? Let's go ahead and read this. And then he says, um, Deuteronomy 8.11. Deuteronomy 8 changed my life too. You should really read it for those of you that are wanting to dive deeper into um, what your calling looks like. But he says this, Beware that you do not forget the Lord, your God, by not keeping his commandments. Lest when you have built beautiful houses and your silver and gold are multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord. And then he says, Then I will destroy you like all the other pagan kingdoms. Which, that's pretty intense. But um, the concept is still the same. The principle is still the same. This is when David is at the peak of his calling. He is absolutely the most powerful man in his entire region. Probably almost his, his continent, so to say, in that area that he's at. And he's testing him on two things. He's still, he, didn't, 
He's not just testing him on this. He's not just testing him on keeping your first love. He's testing him on the weight of the responsibility of the fullness of your calling. Everything on top of you, everything you're supposed to carry, every prophetic word becoming a reality, all the responsibilities of that. When you're king, imagine all the things a king has to do, right? I want you to think about President Duterte. He's like, I'm going to writ. He can do whatever he wants, whatever he wants. As king of the Philippines, he decides to, to get rid of all of the corruption. That's one of his major things. And so he does the war on drugs. He does this. He does that. Uh, he made a statement on, uh, online recently. He said, I think I'm just going to stop being president because there's so much corruption in the Philippines. I can't get rid of it. The weight of being the ruler of a country is over him. He was the mayor of a city. Now he's the ruler of a country of 110 million. They do this funny thing where you see presidents of the United States when they start, they take a picture of them, and then they take a picture of the president of the United States when they're done with their term. All of them look dramatically older. They have gray hair, their face, they got eye bags. They're like, all of them are like that because now they're president of the whole country. The fullness of your calling is the fullness of your responsibility. It's the small things, it's the big things, it's the little things, it's the things you can't see, it's the people that you want to be with and not be with. You have everything that you ever have to deal with is now with you. And now you have to keep him as your first love and you have to walk out in excellence and skill and maturity and close to perfection even, because that's how you steward what God gives you is with excellence. That's what you look like in Jerusalem. So that's why God's so big on making sure your socks are in the hamper. That's why God's so big on making sure if your shoes are getting ruined, then you go figure out a way to fix them or clean them. Or if you don't have food, well, here you got food, you just got to eat it. But then when you go out, if you don't got food, you got to go get it. You got to go, you're going to have to uh, work with other people all the time. All these little, little things, they become something throughout every single season. And when you step into the fullness of your responsibility of your calling, you're going to remember picking up your socks, cleaning the toilet, making sure that everything is nice, making sure that everything is detailed. Because when you're over a country, then you have to make sure that's happening. And just even for eternity, he says, oh, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with small things. Now I'll make you faithful over 10 cities. You don't know that some of your training right now might be because you're gonna be some of those millions of believers that are ruling with Jesus. And that's what he's training you for. It's eternity again. It's not just this vapor of life. It's eternity that he's training you for. 